Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Well, we are so privileged to have Sammy Greg come and speak to us. So... Sammy is a member of the core leadership team of Emmaus, and she is one of the most encouraging people I know. She is unbelievably kind, and I honestly, I've known Sammy for five, six years, something like that. I don't think I've ever heard her speak badly of anyone, which is actually rare nowadays. She is such a gift to this church, and this is her first time speaking in the evening service, and we're so grateful. So why don't you show your appreciation, Sammy? Now, would you like me to pray for you, or would you like to pray for yourself? No, I'd like you to pray. Okay, great. <laughs> Lord Jesus, oh, we thank you for Sammy. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who she is. Thank you for her history with you, incredible history with you, God. And thank you for the message she has prepared tonight. I just pray that you would give a real clarity. Lord Jesus, would you speak through her? And God, for all of us listening, I pray that you'd open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, Lord Jesus. We want to see you. We want to hear from you. But most of all, we want to be transformed by you. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Amazing. Now, I've been given a little bit of microphone training since this morning because apparently my arm was slipping with the weight of it. So if you see my arm slip, you'll know that Peter Burton at the back is going to be doing a few <laughs> eyebrow moves or something. <laughs> awesome panicked looks because otherwise sound is going to go badly wrong. So... I'm really excited to be here. It's a real honor to finally be able to speak at the unbelievably brilliant evening service. Thank you for having me. I'm also amazed and excited that I was given the honor of a title such as Anything on My Heart. Oh my goodness, did they know what they were doing? Literally, I could go anywhere with that and we could be in for all night tangents after tangent <laughs> after tangent and Pete's not here to tell me not to do it. It could be a wild ride, so hold on to your seat. <laughs> But for all of you that are starting to worry because you like a plan, it's okay. <laughs> I have a plan, and you'll see. Tonight, I'd like to speak to you about the slow rhythm of the gospel. There's a fashion at the moment, isn't there, for slowness. There's such a thing as slow parenting, slow gardening, slow uh, reading, slow education, slow parenting, so you get the picture, slowness, it's out there, it's imp impressive and it's important, people are doing it and they love it and you get the picture, it's all happening but we live in an accelerated culture, an accelerated society and it's not slow. If my computer doesn't connect to the internet immediately, I get really frustrated. And when I'm at the doctor's surgery, if they tell me I'm waiting more than five minutes, my phone's out, I'm looking at emails, I've got text messages out, I'm looking at the news. I don't want even five minutes to lie empty. I need to fill them. I can't let my day go to waste. 
Carl Honoré defines fast as busy, controlling, aggressive, stressed, and impatient. Whereas conversely, he tells us that slow is therefore calm, careful, intuitive, unhurried, and patient. The paradox, however, is that slow is not always slow. Do you remember the fable of the hare and the tortoise? I loved it as a child because the hare was really like, I'm going to win this race. He zooms off and he's so confident he's going to win it, he even sits down at a tree, lies down and has a nap. Whereas the tortoise, he's plodding and he's slow, but he keeps his eye on that finishing line and he plods and he goes and he wins that race. Let's turn, are we able to turn to John 11? If you've, got, if you've got your Bibles, I'd be really impressed. We're going to read John 11. It's the story of uh, raising Lazarus. And I've asked Natty if she's going to read it for us. As Natty comes up, I'm going to give you a bit of background. I actually wanted to read all 54 verses of raising Lazarus from the dead. But you'll be pleased to know I was talked out of it. It might have taken all night. My whole uh, talk could have been <laughs> taken up with reading the Bible. But it's the most amazing uh, story, and it pretty much tells you what I'm wanting to preach on. But to give you some background, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, are some of Jesus' closest friends. He spent time with them, eating and relaxing in their home, and they're people who are really close to his heart. So, when Lazarus gets sick, one of the sisters sends for Jesus because she knows that firstly, he'd care, and secondly, she's pretty convinced that he's going to heal him. That'll be fine, because it's Jesus, right? So, she sends for him. However, Jesus seems to have, I've lifted it, seems to have a different timetable to the sisters and a different understanding of what's needed. So, he chooses to wait and not go. Because he knows that God's got a better intention. So he waits knowing that Lazarus will die. Natty. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have stopped this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, 
take off the grave clothes and let him go. miracle happened it can be so ooh, microphone <laughs> it can be so upsetting and frustrating how slowly Jesus answers us sometimes can't it just when we want or expect or need a fast solution to something and we think we know how Jesus should do it he seems to go really deliberately slowly and in this passage, it seems we seem like Jesus is actually making a deliberate decision to take his time and not immediately go. But it's clearly not an easy choice for him because he loves this family. But the thing is, Jesus is aware that the Father has a better intention. His relationship with the Father is such that he knows that Lazarus won't actually ultimately die as a result of the sickness. But, it, but what's going to happen is that it will result in God's glory and it'll glorify the Son. So in the passage, we see that although Jesus is given a pretty hard time, and he really is, those sisters, they both give him a hard time. If you read earlier, it's both of them. They, they don't let up. What do you know? His timing's perfect. And the situation's then turned on, the he on its head and he raises Lazarus from the dead four days later. If, it, if he was in there four days, there was going to be a stink, which is what Martha was worried about. But Lazarus comes out. What a powerful moment. It came from the seemingly impossible life from the grave. Sometimes Jesus asks us to wait for our miracle. And we find it when we least expect it. The gospel doesn't work according to our Western timescales or our neat boxes. And I think that too often we neglect to mention how slowly... The gospel works sometimes. And we can often fail to be honest about that in church, I'm afraid, because too often we love to focus on those miraculous breakthrough testimonies. You know the ones like, I went to bed an atheist, Jesus appeared to me in a dream, and then I woke up having given my life to him. <laughs> I mean, they're exciting stories, and they do happen, and we praise God for those testimonies, but they're the ones that get mentioned when all too often the stories that actually happen and the testimonies that do happen are the ones that I hear on Alpha, which are that people become Christians after two or three times of doing the course. In fact, this next Alpha, I've got a couple of people that are doing it for their fourth time. <laughs> And the reason is, the people do Alpha more than once, because the first time they do Alpha, they pretty much don't believe in Alpha, don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in Alpha, they don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's a kind of two-way thing. But they, they, they're coming on Alpha to heckle, or to ask their questions, or because they you know, have no idea what they're coming on, their friends have just dragged them. And so then when they're actually interested, or they're thinking, yeah, I might think that this has got something in it or that Jesus is true they think I better come back because I want to listen this time and I want to find out what on earth you were talking about because I wasn't paying any attention 
So the process and the journey of faith for each of us is a slow process. And we walk step by step, closer and closer towards Jesus. My prayer today is that this talk is going to be a practical help. And I think that's for three types of people that are here today. Firstly, for those who believe I'm useless at evangelism. The great news is you don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to take someone from a conversation about the weather right through to a prayer of repentance and confession. <laughs> it's okay. But you just need to invite them to Alpha. To be honest, Alpha <laughs> is the most simple and lovely thing. And I do have a vested interest and I put my hand up because... We've got an Alpha course starting on the 26th of September. In a week and a half, I lead it with a fantastic team, some of whom are here. So Alpha is the simplest, easiest way to introduce someone to Jesus. It basically is a meal, it's friendship, and it's shared lives. You can't get better than that. You may be thinking, I can't invite that friend to Alpha. I invited them two years ago. They said no. But the thing is, they might have been not ready then, but they might be now. Try it. So that was my shameless plug. Don't get them on the website. They can sign up there. <laughs> okay, it's over. <laughs> However, I totally get it. That sometimes it's easy, but sometimes there's times and seasons where it's not easy to invite someone. I've been in a, a book circle with a group of mums from my youngest uh, son's school that I joined years ago. I've been in this book circle for years and there's never been an opportunity to invite any of them to Alpha. They all know I'm a Christian but I've just never been able. It's just not the conversation. has just never been able to invite them. It's just become too awkward, too sticky and that happens sometimes. I get it but I'm praying and it, I just need to pray for the right time and the right moment, and it does, it takes prayer, time, and perseverance. In his 1975 book, What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest, a guy with the name of James F. Engel developed a model called the Engel Scale to represent the journey a person takes from no knowledge of God right through to becoming a Christian and then their ongoing growth. It's There it is. <laughs> It's a really helpful way to show how the process of becoming Christian and their ongoing discipleship is, is a journey and it's a process and it's a pattern of steps that each person takes and it's their own choice. So you see that whilst you might not have been Billy Graham and taken them from nothing to everything, what you might have done is taken them from your conversation with them to being, step four, a little bit more interested in Jesus. That's an incredible achievement. And it means that the next time they meet someone, they might then go on to getting a little bit of truth about him. So that one day, a little bit further down the line, they may well get to step 10. The angle scale shows that every encounter makes a difference. When I was 14, I went on a pilgrimage walk from Isha to Guildford Cathedral. Now, the thing is, I wasn't a Christian, and I didn't know Jesus. 
I had no idea what a pilgrimage was. And the only reason I was going was I fancied some of the guys that were going. So I needed to make a really good impression. There, was, there were a few problems. Firstly, I didn't know how far it was. Secondly, I'd never been on a hike. And I'd never been inside a cathedral. And thirdly, I decided, obviously, I needed to wear a miniskirt and stilettos. <laughs> Decent, thank you. It was a 15-mile hike <laughs> through mad country. evening, as I nursed my blistered feet, <laughs> I vowed a couple of things. One, that I would never go in the church again. Two, that never a cathedral. And also, that I'm never having a mustard bath again, thanks very much, my mum. It was, it was the time I was brought up in. <laughs> my mum was a nurse. It was the 80s. You've just, got to, you've just got to understand it, really. They were bad days. Three years later, as I'm sure you're aware of my testimony, and if not, I don't want to bore you right now. It'll take too long. I'll tell you one day. It's, yeah. Then I had more encounters with Christians that finally led me first to reject Jesus outright. Then... After being invited to a Christian music out, uh, event, which, you know, that was great because I like music. Who doesn't? It's a pretty good idea. Uh, after going along to, to that, I was, you know, that was pretty good. Probably step four. I was interested enough to finally allow someone to talk to me about Jesus. So I then became open to hearing. And then I then accepted the love and grace and freedom of Jesus and I never look back. You may feel like you're hopeless at evangelism, but each encounter with someone who doesn't know Christ really does matter, and it really does draw them closer to him. I thank God that people didn't give up on me <laughs> in my miniskirt and stilettos. I believe there's Secondly, a group of people here, and you've been praying for family members for years and years. Raise your hand if you've even been praying for your family members for five years or more to become Christians. I want to pray. Lord, I want to ask that for each person represented, that you would open their hearts to hearing you. I pray that you would stir their hearts and move them and draw them closer to you. And I pray that you would begin the process of salvation within them, that they may walk that bit closer to you, lead them to a conversation or, or a person that would draw them and woo them into a decision that would change their lives for you for the better. Amen. I want to encourage you today that God works far beyond our understanding in people's lives. 
My cousin, my sister, my mum and I all became Christians quite quickly in succession after each other. But my dad was a hardened, cynical policeman. And we began to lose hope that he'd ever find faith. And then out of the blue, one day, he just came to church with us. And it was kind of a bit weird, but amazing. And he just sort of sat there next to us. We wouldn't talk to us about why. He just came. Great, but weird. But great, but weird, but great. <laughs> so there he was, all of us there. And um, then at that meeting, he signed up to go on a mission trip to Romania. <laughs> I mean, I literally didn't know what was going on. It was like, my dad signed up to go on a mission trip. Is he even allowed? <laughs> he didn't talk to us about it when he went home, even. He just didn't want to talk about it. He just had done it, and he was going. Enough. <laughs> Enough said. It was bizarre. So anyway, he went off on his mission trip. When he came back... He'd been so moved that he then announced, as he did, just these announcements, he was getting baptised. <laughs> and his life changed. He changed. His countenance changed. His personality changed. He softened. God moved and changed him. The funny thing is, though, is how my dad talks about it. It's 100% different to the way I saw it, we all saw it, and the way I perceived it, and the way it seemed. My dad recounts it as he always had a plan to come to church. <laughs> it was always going to happen. It just had to be at the right time. He was just waiting for the right moment. <laughs> I mean, okay. There it is, said by my father. You just have the right moment. We never know what's going on inside a person. We just have to pray that the process of salvation begins and we just trust God to do the rest. We just don't know what's going on inside and what God's doing. We need to pray for people who aren't yet believers that Christ will be stirring their hearts and building their faith. I believe there's a third group of people here, and that's people that have been Christians for a while, but you're still struggling in areas of your life. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 8 tantalizingly tells us, and that's my little line, tantalizingly tells us, I love that, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 tells us that we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. But how come we don't yet feel particularly transformed? What's that all about? When I was a new Christian, it's all about me, I've realised. I realised this this morning. <laughs> You're hearing all about me. <laughs> Welcome to the me show. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> it is. It's usually about Pete. Sorry, darling. You're hearing about me. When I was a new Christian... At about the age of 18 or 19, I was desperate to get my life straight. I asked um, one of the elders at my local church 
um, if she'd mentor me? And she said, yes. I was like, oh, this is it. So that night, the night before, I wrote a list of all the worst things about me. I thought this was what you had to do. I wrote all the worst things about myself. It was like 12 of my worst sins. I wrote them all down. And it was like an albatross that was hanging, not round my neck, but on a piece of paper in my back pocket in an envelope so no one else could see it. And it was just this weight. I just was, I've got to get rid of this, hand it to her. She can deal with it, she can have it, and then she'll either kick me out or it'll be like a Catholic confessional. Marvellous, I feel purged. Or, um, <laughs> I didn't really know. I didn't really understand a lot. You can hear, you can tell, can't you? But somehow I was just like, I've got to get this off my chest because it's really weighing me down. And I was just, oh, oh, help. So anyway, I mean, am I the only one that's like this? I think I probably am. Anyway, so there we are. So the next day, I went round with this de dead weight. With, I sort of handed it to her. She was this lovely lady. She was just sort of, hello, cup of tea, Holy Spirit. And I was sort of, oh, I've got this weight. And um, what she did, she, anyway, she taught me something that stuck with me for the rest, well, forever. I've never lost it. I've never forgotten it. She, so I handed over this paper thinking, well, I think she's going to just kick me out. And she took this paper and she looked at it. She glanced at it. She didn't read it. I know she didn't read it because it was so long. Literally, she should have been reading it for about half an hour. And she glanced at it. And then she just said... Okay, and ripped it up. And I was, really? You, you're not going to read it? And she said, the most grace-filled thing that I've ever heard. She just said, Jesus never deals with us with lists. Jesus deals with us step by step, one thing at a time. We're on a journey with Jesus. And the thing is, when you're on a journey, if ever there's something, he'll highlight it. It'll be like a stumbling block that's just not helping you on your path. And he'll highlight it and he'll help you remove it. It's never a list. She spoke such grace, such freedom, that this weight dropped off me. I wanted to, I just wanted to kiss her because I suddenly realized that I didn't have to live any longer feeling like, what are people thinking about me? I just needed to know I'm on a journey. Jesus will highlight things. I don't need to worry. And that's how it's been. If someone had walked into the room back then and said to me, so... Mid-40s, how do you think you're going to be? I think I'd have said, yeah, pretty much sorted, I think. <laughs> I think, yeah, pretty perfect. I'll have ticked, ticked, and ticked most of the stumbling blocks by then. But the thing is, I still have issues. I still have stumbling blocks. Jesus is still walking with me and helping me deal with stuff. It's a slow, grace-filled journey, and he's a slow grace-filled God 
Rick Warren says, I think it's coming up. Becoming like Christ is a long, slow process of growth. Spiritual maturity is neither instant nor automatic. It's a gradual, progressive development that will take the rest of your life. In our marriage, Pete and I, after nearly 24 years, are still gaining breakthroughs in our communication, which is actually helpful, (laughs) but amazing. And we're still learning new things about each other. The joy is that we no longer argue over stupid stuff like who can have the remote control, mainly because Pete has no idea how to use the telly. (laughs) So we've kind of ticked that one. (laughs) But also because we've learned to be a bit kinder to each other. And generally, Pete's kinder than me, so that's also a tick for me. (laughs) And the good news is that as we keep in step with Jesus, we all keep being transformed and becoming more glorious day by day. However, it may well be that you're not feeling very glorious today. You might be struggling in your marriage or in your relationship or in your health, or in an area of your, if you're, of your self-identity. And you've been waiting to see breakthrough in an area for a long time, and it just hasn't come yet. The Lazarus passage shows that Jesus wants us to be real with him. It shows that when Jesus saw his friends distressed and weeping, he was deeply moved. He was troubled. And he wept. Jesus doesn't want us to measure up to some sort of set of rules. He's not some kind of cosmic psychotherapist that wants to counsel us out of those issues. But rather, he wants to be in relationship with us. And through that, become the best of who he's created us to be. This summer... Our family went on an amazing holiday to Turkey. We utterly loved it. But it was a long journey. And it took a long time to get there. Uh, And that's quite frustrating for people like Pete and me. We like to be in the moment. If we know something's going to happen, we want it to happen right away. However, Hudson, our eldest son knew there was going to be a long journey, and so he prepared for it. He got himself some really cool podcasts he wanted to listen to, great snacks, good reading stuff he wanted, and he was in for the journey. He was like, yep, the journey's good for me. And quite frankly, he was thrilled with the length of time. So what was weird to me was when we went on to talk about the best moments of our holiday, he actually mentioned the journey as being one of his. Totally amazing and bizarre. Could it be possible then that rather than seeing this slow gospel and slow gospel journey as being some kind of interminable wait for Jesus to turn up and do something pretty quickly, answer my prayers immediately, come along, instead of that... Could it be possible that instead we begin to plan into the wait and learn to walk in step with Jesus along the way? 
When you raise a child, you honestly don't want them to grow up instantly. Although some of those sleepless nights, you could get rid of them. I'm like, ah. Oh. You celebrate the milestones because they're priceless. And when they do grow up, and then they head off to uni, like Hudson did yesterday, and like a lot of you have done, and your parents will understand what I'm talking about, but they're not here, so bear with me. <laughs> You're honestly shocked at how fast it's happened. Time really does fly. The good news, as I say, is our Heavenly Father is raising us to be more and more glorious, one degree of glory from another. But the bad news is it only happens one tiny degree at a time. So on a day-to-day -day reality, what does that mean? Okay, I'm on a, this is whistle-stop. I've got five reasons why the gospel goes slow. I'll tell you it's whistle-stop, because when I say five, that's like, oh my word, she's going from for hours. But it's honestly whistle-stop. So the first reason why the gospel goes slow is perhaps God's got an overarching plan. So we saw that with Lazarus. The sisters wanted Jesus just to come in and heal him. That's obvious, isn't it? Just heal him. But God had the better idea. I'm not going to just heal him. I'm going to raise him from the dead. He had a far better plan. Secondly, the, the gospel could be on a go slow because God enables us to learn more about him and grow in our character far more um, when we wait on him than giving us when, when we have an immediate answer to prayer. So when Daniel was a baby, this is how I'm going to help you understand this. I'm giving you lots of <laughs> baby illustrations, I'm realising. When Daniel was a baby... I went to his every need. But then when he was growing up, if I continued to do that, he'd have been the most spoiled child in the playground. But on the other hand, if I'd not gone to any of his needs, he'd have been neglected. So God helps us to negotiate the journey from going from a spiritual baby to maturing in him. And he asks us to learn to wait on him. And he asks us to hear from his heart. Thirdly, the gospel is slow sometimes because we're all in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, authorities, and spiritual powers in the heavenlies, what does that mean? It means when we pray, we're asking on contested ground. So we need to stand in faith and we need to keep praying until we see breakthrough, understanding that sometimes this is not going to be easy. Fourth, sometimes the gospel takes a long time in our lives or in other people's lives because we're human. We're human and we fail. We fail either to share our faith or we fail to make good decisions in our lives. We're human. That's how God's made us. And as much as we really want to blame God for it, yep, it's your fault, God. I'm a human. In reality, maybe 
We just need to realise, yeah, my prayers aren't being answered and it could actually be me. I might need to do something about this. We're human. It's okay. There's grace. Could that be the reason? Do we just need to look at ourselves, sort it out, dust ourselves down and get on with it? And finally, the gospel can take a long time because God is gentle and we are complex. Something that may have taken a long time to hurt us or damage us is not always able to be healed instantly. And even though we'd like it to be, and we're praying for it to be, and we're asking that that just happens, Sometimes things will take time and they'll take counselling. So the gospel goes slowly sometimes. In all of this then, we need to learn to celebrate the small victories and not just the big. Sometimes someone you've been praying for for years might not have given their life to Christ, but they may now have become less resistant to Alpha. So celebrate. That's a massive answer to prayer. Or a family member that you've been praying for might, might now be open to having a conversation with you that doesn't end in an argument. Celebrate! That's a huge answer to prayer. Remember, Jesus works with us. He understands us. He's intimately caught up in the details of our lives. And he's more concerned with the process than with the progress. His is a slow gospel and he walks in step with our lives day by day. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you love us, that you walk with us, that whilst we may not instantly see answers, we know that we are part of your plan. This 2,000-year-old plan to see your kingdom come. And we are wrapped up and caught up in you. So we pray, Lord, in our Western quick mindset, help us to see you in a whole new way that enables us to know that it's not about how quickly it happens, it's how well it happens. And it's how richly it happens and it's how it happens in you, in your kingdom. We want to be whole in you and help others find you in the best way possible. Amen.